please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 7th of October. It's time for your morning espresso. So, as always, first of all, we'd just like to mention that we do have simultaneous translations that are accessible via the button below. And also, we have a Q&A button. So if you have questions regarding this, then please do send them there or send us an email at nordiafunds at nordia.com. Cool. Well, as usual, we're going to start the session with Dr. Sebastian Gali, who's our senior macro specialist, and we are going to talk about all things macro. There's been a lot going on. Good morning, Sebastian. Are you there? Good morning. Hi. Great. Now, Sebastian, uh, yesterday we had Donald Trump um, returning to the White House after his COVID-induced trip to hospital. What can we expect from him now uh, that he's back in, in office? First, we, we wish him hell, uh, well and all the people affected by COVID-19. Second, uh, you probably should expect that he will, in the virtual uh, space as well as in physical space, start to campaign. We've seen that activity through Twitter picking up from very uh, low level. However, he did post uh, some encouraging videos, which is what you want to do to get a maximum impact. And then the very probable event is that he moves against China. Why? Because it's popular. Number two, because he called it the China virus. So the combination of the two with the fact that phase one compliance has been relatively moderate uh, means that this is the one way to go to try to close a gap of 14 points with uh, Joe Biden. So, uh, and then I saw your next slide. Uh, looks like a scene from the Giro d'Italia. Yeah, here we go. Pretty much so. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and the title there is Risk On, which uh, certainly is the case with the Giro because it's been pelting with rain there and uh, looks very dangerous. So why don't you tell us what this slide is all about? Well, what we've done is at the a little bit before the end of the crisis, about two weeks before the, the crisis peak, we made the bet that it would actually peak within two to two weeks. So we got it more or less right by one day. And since then, we've been Risk On and we've anticipated phase of consolidation. Now we see the end of that consolidation within two to four weeks, maybe two weeks, maybe four weeks. And there is a multiplicity of reasons for this. You could go through the negative elements, which we won't go, um, or the positive element. And the main one is that liquidity is ample. Liquidity is a very, very powerful machine uh, and eventually wins the day. And uh, I think this is what's happening right now. Even though you get a, a slowdown, for example, in the United States on some uh, of the data, you saw service PMI was actually quite encouraging. Um, yeah. If we focus on the element of time, as we move past uh, the elections in terms of anticipation, uh, then the risk associated with the election starts to fade. As, as it fades, volatility become uh, smaller and smaller all across the board. And that typically encourages people to take risk. It also means mechanically that the, the ranges are reinforced, they're shallower, shallower than they used to be. And it's typically quite a good thing. 
uh, investor sentiment is actually quite good amongst uh, professional investors with 58% seeing a new bull market according to the BOFA Merrill Lynch survey, which is quite an important uh, thing to point out to. And then there are a series of cyclical elements such as a continued rebound in China, a bid in administration, which probably would help to uh, stabilize demand by making the, the lowest tier or lowest quantile of, uh, of households a bit richer. Uh, and that means our consumption would be much more robust and that typically is very good for the economy. Then we have the odds of a fiscal deal, which have increased very significantly, particularly so with the president coming back. And then, of course, the point that we mentioned before is that the election is uh, is approaching and eventually it'll be resolved as, as a risk. There are a series of negative uh, factors, but we generally believe that they are fading somewhat. Brexit, for example, is uh, is one of them. Great. And you mentioned the election coming up. We've got a very special morning espresso next week. I'm going to mention that again at the end, but uh, perhaps we should do a quick sum up um, of the main points then from today's macro update. Um, we're going to do them backwards here because we were just talking about the liquidity um, leading to this, these sharp rallies. Um, and obviously we're, we're seeing increased volatility as well. Um, but the next four weeks, you know, again, diversifying into flexible solutions, but um, you still see this as an opportunity. Yeah, we, we basically believe that we're back on the risk on train and uh, the end will be probably in 2022-2023 when the expectations of uh, Fed increases will increase very significantly from low level, the same way as the ECB and that will mean the easy part of the gains are, are will be long gone by, by then. Flexible solutions that allow you to position yourself in more complex market as an alternative also to fixed income and they're able to better adapt when volatility increases and we've seen that repeatedly. Yeah, makes sense. And then to your second point, which was the first point, um, which is the president's next move. And uh, again, this could affect the uh, relationships between the US and China, but we still see China as a bullish uh, story longer term. Yeah, and it's, it's quite telling that the front page of the Wall Street Journal a few uh, a few days ago was about the China economic rebound being quite resilient and going uh, in, uh, in the right direction. And we also believe in it and, and do agree with this point of view. Excellent. Well, thank you once again for joining us. Um, I look forward to speaking to you again. And now we're going to move on to the uh, main part of the Morning Espresso this morning. And I am joined by Carsten Bier. Now, Carsten is the portfolio manager of both the flexible fixed income strategy and also the balanced income strategy uh, within the multi-assets team. So, Carsten, good morning. Are you there? Yes, I'm here, Paul. Good morning. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Not too bad. Mm. Carsten, I wanted to start by rewinding the clock 19 years, almost, not quite to the day, um, the, the events of 9-11 changed uh, a lot of people's lives, uh, including yours, actually. So I just mm. wondered, I thought perhaps that would be a starting point uh, for, for today's talk. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think I know what you're referring to. Um, <laughs> in, in some ways, uh, my way into asset management was uh, rather typical, uh, coming from a, a sell-side position, working as a macroeconomist and fixed-income strategist uh, in the Adnodea markets. Uh, but, but as you say, 9-11 uh, was a, a, a very 
special event in, in for, for all people, of course, myself included, uh, with, a, with a terror attack uh, that uh, led to these uh, horrible jitters in, in the markets as well, uh, apart from the, from the human strategies. Uh, and at that point of time, our uh, macro strategist, uh, my former colleague, uh, Anna Schelter, he was actually at uh, the World Trade Center, one of the lower floors uh, on the 9-11. Um, at, at a conference that was held at the World Trade Center. Um, so when the so when the when the hit uh, when the planes hit the towers, uh, he he got out uh, well and alive, thanks God. Uh, but he was uh, stuck in the city of New York, uh, unable to to return to Denmark uh, as uh, as as the airports and, and and flights were shut down several days after the terror attack. Yeah. Um, so they called me. I was working at uh, their markets because uh, you had a lot of clients uh, of asset management uh, calling, asking for meetings, uh, telcos, and uh, and the like. Wanted to hear what does all this mean? What is the outlook for markets? Um, so I was uh, temporarily recruited uh, to cover for for Anas while he was uh, still in in New York, uh, and and that actually became my first step into asset management, uh, the asset management arm of uh, Nordea, uh, where I have been working full-time since uh, 2003 now yeah and we're glad to have you so uh thank you yes yeah it's it's uh, i know you've been with Nordea for, for a long long time before asbjorn actually so um, yeah, yeah, actually. yeah so uh, it, but it's great that that uh that we've we've had you with us this all this time and and as i mentioned at the beginning you're you're actually a senior member of the multi-asset team uh, alongside asbjorn and, and klaus form both of whom who we've been speaking to recently on the Morning Expressos. Um, so within your role within that team um, is taking care of the fixed income allocation. But um, you know, as, as you mentioned, your, your background is, is actually as a macroeconomist, funnily enough. Um, so I was just wondering what your take is as a macroeconomist um, of the global economy right now. Yeah, what we just learned from Sebastian is, of course, that things are very much about uh, liquidity, uh, public interventions, and so forth. And 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 I think what what is uh, most remarkable for me, what we are seeing, is is really what I would call the, the mother of all bailouts that we have seen in uh, in history uh, in developed markets for for, for many many years. Yeah. Uh, a combination of uh, of fiscal policy, uh, fiscal and uh, easing, and and monetary policy eating almost without precedence. If if you if you look at the at the the scales here at, at the charts here on, on this page. Uh, so it's an historically fiscal easing that we are witnessing. It comes in, in, in different, in several shapes, uh, like uh, direct financial transfers, uh, social benefits, uh, tax cuts, uh, direct and, and indirect government guarantees and so forth. Um, and and it's, uh, it is really, it's really amazing just how much uh, intervention that is actually taking place and has taken place since uh, COVID uh, hit, hit, uh, hit the economy and, and markets. Um, yeah. And it has, of course, led to a, a booming budget deficit and, and, and more or less what you could call an, an explosion in, in, in public debt, uh, which is uh, the largest uh, deficit that we actually seen since uh, World War II. Um, so, so, um, so it's it's quite dramatic uh, intervention, uh, scale of intervention that we have been have been witnessing, and and you may of course ask uh, how is this uh, how is this possible at all? Um, and essentially, it's because it's it's fully backstopped uh, by by the central banks uh, yeah. in the way that they are printing all this money to to fund uh, the expanding government deficits. Uh, yeah. So central banks have taken all these steps uh, to stimulate the economy. Uh, during the corona crisis, uh, rate cuts, uh, they're doing all kinds of 
security purchases, uh, what you would also call, what, what you could refer to as, as quantitative easing. Yeah. They have all these uh, extraordinary lending facilities to banks and, and, and corporates, uh, et cetera. Uh, so, but most important of all, I would say that it's, it's, uh, the Fed is now, and for that matter, uh, you would also say the ECB is now fully monetizing uh, the U.S. Uh, federal budget deficit, uh, which is a de facto Benenke-style uh, Benenke helicopter money uh, yeah. scenario that we are that we are witnessing. Yeah, can we, do we, can we just go back to that chart again quickly? Because uh, you've, you've put on there the Fed and the ECB, but actually, I think if we put the Bank of Japan or the People's Bank of China on there, it would be the same story, right? It's it not would just be the those same story. Two. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a global phenomenon, uh, yeah. and, 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 and all central banks are really just yeah. hitting the accelerator in terms of, of supporting uh, these uh, fiscal expansions that we, yeah. we've been seeing. Exactly. So the next obvious question is, okay, so where's all this liquidity going? Where's this, this tsunami wave of, uh, of financial support going? Yeah, first of all, it's going to, to the private sector. Uh, that's the purpose of it. Uh, and, and first and, and, and foremost, it's actually going to, uh, to the households. Yeah. Um, it's uh, these government transfers that we have seen uh, in place has actually been so, uh, so comprehensive. Uh, that the household sector has now seen an increase in its uh, disposable income during the COVID recession. I mean, it's probably the first recession that you can ever think of where uh, disposable <laughs> income is rising. Um, yeah. I guess if you the, can't go out, you can't spend money. It's hard, exactly. It? Yeah. So, so that is also what, what the chart is showing, uh, namely that the, the outlays uh, have fallen uh, at the same time uh, as the economy was uh, largely shut down. Uh, so, so that has led to an, an all-time high in, in, in private savings, in household savings, uh, which is uh, also without precedence. Mm -hmm. uh, so it takes a, it takes a, a, a big uh, pillow or a big mattress to put all the savings into that. Uh, and that is, uh, uh, that, is uh, that is not really doable. So obviously, they uh, these uh, all these cash uh, has uh, and all this money have, have found its way into the uh, commercial banking system as well. Um, so now what we're seeing is that commercial bank as uh, cash assets have been been rising to a new all-time high. It's up by approximately one trillion dollars in the US alone compared to uh, what we had uh, before uh, COVID. Um, so, I mean, all these charts that I have uh, from, from, from the old days uh, being a macroeconomist, they have almost been, been uh, destroyed by, by these uh, wild, violent uh, moves that we have seen in all these time series uh, around, the, around both the financial and, and real economy indicators that we have. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? What's going on? Uh, but super interesting to watch and and to listen to to people like you uh, analyze. So um, so yeah, that, that that's good. Um, what does this mean then for for financial markets? I mean, you've shown a couple of charts there, but what are the implications of that uh, beyond the obvious? Yeah, the, the, the intuition is, of course, uh, in, in a nutshell, that uh, governments, uh, both in, in US and, and, and Europe, has now uh, de facto absorbed uh, all the drop in national income. So we now have uh, national income going down. It always happens during a recession. Uh, it would normally be the private sector that takes uh, the lion's share of, of the burden, but this time it's actually the government sector that takes uh, the lion's share of the burden. Mm. And this has, has of course, worked, uh, helped to, to dampen all the, the usual second round effects that we would see in a downturn, like uh, credit distress, uh, asset price uh, declines, uh, household uh, bankruptcies, uh, corporate defaults, and, and, and the like. Yeah. So in this way, this recession becomes uh, very different from 
from from oil resistance that we have been uh, been through in 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 the past, um, and because uh, on top of that, because all the the commercial banks are are really awash with, with cash, uh, they have uh, been able to, or you could perhaps say they have been more or less uh, indirectly forced to uh, lend out uh, in a large scale. Normally, you would see a credit contraction uh, during a, a recession, but this time you're actually seeing a a credit expansion, um, and this is uh, this is I think neatly illustrated by this. Uh, uh, left-hand chart that you see here, um, where normally during uh, economic recessions, uh, commercial banks would, would reduce their, their lending to, to the corporate sector. Uh, credit fundamentals deteriorate. Uh, I mean, the profitability is going down, so so the risk of, of lending out to the corporate sector would normally be declining uh, due to, to more cautious uh, credit policies and so forth. Um, and and then they would uh, normally, instead of, of lending out to the corporate sector, they would be buying purchase, they would be buying government securities uh, instead. Yeah. And vice versa, of course, during a boom, uh, then you are, are, are offering credit to the private sector and, and you don't uh, buy all these, you, know, you can say, high, uh, safer, high quality government bonds. Um, but this time you have a, a, a an extraordinary situation because you have all this cheap cash uh, on on your deposits uh, in, on, on your deposit accounts. Uh, so banks are now lending out to the corporates. Uh, this is of course underpinned by by all these uh, public loan guarantees that has been part of the public intervention, and they are at the same time uh, buying uh, government bonds. So now we have, if 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 you look closer at at, at the chart, you can see that both uh, the holdings of both government bonds and the loan book of uh, commercial and industrial loans are now growing by uh, approximately 20% each. Uh, yeah. So, you know, obviously there's a whole range of challenges facing fixed income investors um, right now. Right now. Um, and over the past few years, I, I know that you and the team have been uh, working on developing a, a slightly unique approach to, to using sort of bond proxies. Um, I just, it would be great if you could just explain that um, and how you use these proxies um, to provide the, the downside protection uh, in your portfolios that, that has actually worked really well this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, all this cash that we are seeing in the system has been uh, finding its way into financial markets, and that has pushed uh, bond yields uh, lower. It has pushed, pushed the credit spreads lower, and, and stock prices higher, and so forth. Uh, so, so all these government stimulus programs uh, are, are really a, a key reason why financial markets have been uh, been, been doing quite well uh, during this uh, this recovery. Uh, but but given the fact that we have now yields uh, at, at, at very low level, you have also seen that the ability for, for, for government bonds to, to protect you in, in a downside scenario uh, to, to the same extent as before is, is, is not really present. It is, uh, it is very much uh, illustrated in, in, in the upper left chart here, where you can see uh, the, the performance or the development in, in German 10-year yields during uh, the peak to 12 uh, sell-off we saw in, 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 in the equity markets uh, during the, the, the COVID sell-off. Initially, the German bonds did what they were supposed to do. Yields fell, uh, offering some risk mitigation to, uh, to, to the riskier part of the, of the portfolio. But then, as you can see, yields spiked up again and actually ended net higher. Uh, uh, when at it, it, the peak to trough uh, downturn we saw in the equity markets. So the usual negative correlation that you would rely on in uh, between safe, uh, safe haven assets like high quality government bonds and, and, and risky assets like equities or credit uh, did not really work uh, well with this time. Right. So what we have done, uh, and what we have been been uh, been working on for for, for many years now, uh, I spent 
I think uh, last 10, 15 years is, is really to work very much with the defensive side of, of, of the portfolio. How can we, how can we come up with, uh, with solutions that, uh, that, that really um, addresses this challenge in, in the fixed income market, namely that government bonds do not uh, offer the same uh, downside protection anymore. Um, and, and so one of the, the, the uh, we, we have, I mean, we have several elements in, in, in these solutions, uh, but one of them is, of course, to, to be adopt a more flexible approach to the strategic asset allocation, meaning rather than relying, for instance, on German bonds, can we find uh, other pockets of, of the high quality bond market, bond market that, that offer better protection, uh, yeah. and, and, and uh, this is a if you have a, a very flexible approach to, to uh, investments, you are you're not benchmark agnostic in that sense. Uh, you can you can be uh, you're more free bird to 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 pick and choose uh, the uh, the bonds that actually will do a better job uh, in, in in such a scenario. Yeah. Um, and and one of the other things that that we have done is that we have also increased our uh, let me say degree of tactical adjustment to the portfolio. It, it, when you have all these very low bond yields, you have these low credit spreads. Uh, you cannot rely to the same extent uh, on on the strategic diversification being between duration and credit as you, as you could before. So, so to increase the robustness of of the of the portfolio, uh, a higher degree of tactical adjustments can actually uh, serve the portfolio quite well in, in in times like these. And then finally, obviously, a very important element of of of, uh, of our work is that we have uh, been using with these uh, alternative uh, strategies uh, and alternative in this sense means uh, alternatives to bonds can be find uh, different strategies uh, that do not rely for instance on the duration premium but rely on oil risk premium that uh, shows the same kind of uh, of risk mitigation and, and and one of them is of course our our, our defensive currency strategies where we take yeah. uh, whole positions in a, in a long yen versus short or dollar position and as you can see from from the chart here uh, for instance the, the lower left chart here these uh, <laughs> currency pairs defensive currency pairs they are uh, strongly negatively correlated with for instance uh, equities and and, and uh, with the performance of, of credit markets um, so this is uh, this is really uh, what we have put a lot of effort into uh, to see come up with, with different solutions that, that can work as, as risk mitigation in the same way as bonds have done in the past, but but bonds are less likely to do in in, in the future. Yeah, and this is something that I know that you've been working on for for years, and I guess it must be quite rewarding to see that it works. In times like like we've seen this this year, it, it is nice to see yeah. them uh, see them play out in practice. Uh, of course, uh, we actually also saw it a, a little bit here in uh, in in September uh, when we had this uh, mini sell off uh, where equities yeah. were down. Uh, all these uh, defensive countries they also did a, a nice job in yeah. in offering let me say uh, negative correlation to to risky assets. Uh, so it is Good. nice to to witness that. Good. Something else that you you pointed out just on that last slide was the fact that fixed income investors are sort of being starved of of yield these days, and um, and as a result, a lot of professional managers are sort of moving into more exotic sort of type instruments. Uh, in many cases, more illiquid uh, asset classes. Uh, is that something that you're doing as well within your portfolios? They're, they're flexible, so potentially, I guess you could. But is it something you're actually doing? Yeah, uh, not not really in, in in the way that you describe it there. I mean, for some clients, moving into the alternative universe, uh, in, in the sense that enhancing returns through uh, illiquidity or, or through 
you can say, more non-conventional credit exposures uh, have served uh, as a means to, to increase uh, investment returns. Uh, and, uh, and really, as, as long as markets are calm and there are uh, more buyers than, uh, than sellers, uh, this will uh, definitely turn out profitable. Uh, but we also know by, by experience that whenever there are uh, these uh, jitters in the financial system and, and risk aversion rises, cash and liquidity becomes king. Um, we saw that shortly uh, during the, the winter and the spring, uh, during the COVID sell-off. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is something that we, 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 we cherish very much in, in the sense of uh, trying to, to keep a high degree uh, on liquidity, uh, high degree of liquidity in our funds. So we have taken a different approach, you can say, uh, focusing on maintaining the, the liquidity. Um, this means that our alternative strategies, for instance, our bond substituting uh, currency strategies, they are all based on very liquid instruments um, and can be traded in, in quite high volumes uh, at low costs. Also, when, when markets are under uh, uh, rather intense stress, I would say. An example of that is, for instance, uh, the way that we apply our, our uh, highly liquid credit derivatives like the CDS indices to, to obtain exposure to investment grade and, and high yield in many of our multi-asset portfolios. Uh, and, and these CDS indices, uh, which is, for instance, the, the ITRAX main or the ITRAX cross, or, um, these are, are really preferable instruments for, for asset allocators like ourselves because they generally perform uh, just as well as, as the physical bonds, uh, as you can see here from, from the chart, uh, but they can be increased or decreased in exposure at, at much lower costs, and in, in, in particular during times of stress. We saw that during the 2008 uh, Lehman collapse, uh, but we also saw it in March uh, this year, where the physical bond, corporate bond market uh, temporarily froze uh, due to lack of, of, of liquidity and, and quite low dealer inventories. Great. So um, at the beginning, I, I introduced you as being manager of the flexible fixed, um, also the balance, but we also now have a conservative fixed income strategy that we launched recently. So um, all of these are sort of multi-asset fixed income oriented products. Um, would it be fair to say that they're all managed using the same approach or are there, are there differences perhaps? No, the same. Uh, it's definitely the same investment approach and the same philosophy. So, in a nutshell, it's uh, it's products that are based on on risk balancing, uh, where we combine uh, defensive and aggressive return drivers uh, with what we consider uh, using reliable uh, negative correlation. So, what we aim to satisfy with these different solutions is really uh, different, uh, you can say, requirements and different needs from 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 our clients. Uh, some clients are are really looking for an, uh, just a, a highly liquid uh, solution that can, serve, uh, that can serve as an alternative to cash uh, in these uh, negative cash rate uh, environment that we live in today. If you can, if you can create a little bit of uh, positive return uh, with limited volatility, with low volatility, uh, these solutions are, are clearly attractive alternatives to, to, to cash positions. This would be a, a solution, for instance, like the conservative fixed income strategy, which targets a a cash plus uh, 100 basis points uh, return uh, over an investment cycle uh, gross of fees. We also have uh, the slightly more uh, riskier version of that, which is the flexible fixed income strategy. It's, it's the cash plus two, uh, 200 basis points solution uh, gross of fees, uh, still fixed income only. Uh, and, and, and of course, increases in, uh, the return compared to, to cash uh, and, and has a high degree of liquidity, but all of them has, has focus on on limiting uh, the downside uh, and, and, and 
creating two large uh, short falls and, 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 and drawdowns. Um, and we are, and then we finally have our balanced income fund, uh, which and uses uh, some uh, equity uh, equity exposure on top of the uh, you can say more traditional uh, fixed income instruments in the flexible fixed income fund, uh, and and with that we can enhance uh, the risk profile uh, and the return uh, to uh, to deliver a close to a cash plus uh, three solution. Uh, but they all are based on the same uh, underlying strategies and, and investment philosophy as we have in our other products. That's true. And and then I guess part of that it, it leads to the fact that they've all had really solid performance. I think that's really important to point out. And congratulations on that. Um, I think they all delivered on their objectives. They've all consistently outperformed their respective categories. So um, it, that's that's fantastic to see that. And uh, Kudos to you and the team for that. Um, do you think the uh, pass it on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping they're watching this. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, Will, do you think the current fixed income situation that we see, you know, all of these issues that we've been pointing out, do you think that's going to impact your ability to deliver going forward? It, it goes without saying that when you have uh, negative interest rates uh, in, in cash uh, in, in, in most in most high quality bond markets, at least if, if when you look at it to hit into euros, uh, you have you need to move out in, 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 the, in the risk space to, to, to have some return if you just do it in a, in a conventional way. I think our approach where we do things uh, somewhat differently, uh, where we have this uh, flexibility to uh, to uh, to construct portfolios in, in 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 I would say in a way where you you can deploy um, uh, these strategies these defensive strategies to protect the downside that allows you to, to add a little bit of, of of the extra risk and and I think this is this is really a, uh, in this environment I, I think it's uh, it's a, it's a solution that has a very uh, attractive characteristics in, in the sense that if you look at it from a, a long only perspective these are all also long only funds so it's not uh, fixed income hedge funds uh, yeah. then uh, if you can with a long only exposure uh, with limited volatility as, as we have in these funds can can generate a, a cash plus uh, two or, or even three percent it's 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 quite it's quite a, a, an appealing uh, value proposition absolutely one last question. We're running a little bit short on time, yes. but I, I really wanted to ask you one, one last question, and that's about the outlook, because uh, obviously, you know, you've got your crystal ball there. Yeah. I, maybe you haven't. I don't know, but maybe you could just give it's us. Right there next to me. <laughs> <laughs> I should have mentioned that before. So I think, again, you've got a slide that, that some viewers may have seen before, but I think it's a, an important one, and perhaps you could just make some comments to, to this last slide. Yeah, I mean, generally, what 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 we have already touched upon is that uh, that that you have these uh, quite poor and muted uh, expected returns for for fixed income uh, as a as a classes uh, all the way out uh, until and including investment rates. So the way that we see the market is that uh, we expect the central banks to be quite accommodative uh, for the next two to three years, meaning that they will keep interest rates uh, in these uh, zero or even below zero territory for. For, for, for quite a long time. Uh, and that also means that uh, expected returns on, on, on these uh, safe, safer parts of the fixed income space is, uh, is, is, is quite low. Um, so normally you would have to move out in, in, in the risk space to, to generate even, uh, even decent returns. Uh, 
we are not too worried about uh, uh, you may say uh, central banks starting to 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 move in the opposite direction. But at the same time, we are not too positive. We don't have too high hopes that that you can stimulate much further because uh, the, you are somewhat exhausted on the monetary policy side. I mean, Fed, for instance, is 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 quite resistant to take rates into negative territory. Uh, so, so there is an upside risk to uh, for fixed income investors in terms of, of, of rising yields when you when you look ahead and that is really what drives these uh, quite uh, muted expectations for uh, for for the return on on high quality gold bonds um, yeah. so so it's it's really yeah sorry yeah no i, I was just going to say uh, the bank of england haven't actually moved to to negative interest rates yet but i know that it's something that they're certainly thinking about so i was just wondering you know it's, it's not completely out of the question that the Americans might do the same. It's not out of the question, but I think if they have been looking at uh, how has this uh, worked in Europe and they, they have, uh, uh, at least until now, they have preferred to take a different path in, in terms yeah. of, uh, of doing more, uh, you say, alternative monetary easing than, than cutting rates into to, to the negative territory. Yeah. Great. This has been super interesting. Thank you again for your time. We're just going to do a quick review. Um, of the, the main points that we've discussed this morning. And um, you know, if you've got any additional points that you want to mention, then uh, of course, feel free. Um, you know, we talked about the liquidity that's hit the market uh, without precedence, um, to, and that sort of drove this rebound that we've seen. Um, this go government you know, has, has really helped uh, failing households and uh, we saw that with that chart uh, where you have savings going up and, and or income going up and, and uh, expenditures going down. Um, that excess cash that has been produced is, is flowing into the financial markets. We're seeing that obviously in the equity markets but it's also having an impact on bonds and pushing bond yields uh, to, to historic lows um, and of course this this creates issues for fixed income investors. Um, so you know, harvesting these returns is has become a challenge, um, and uh, this means that we need a sort of flexible and, and balanced investment approach um, to to you know get returns out of these low-level risk kind of investments, um, which is proving very very difficult. Um, so you know, we we have these now range of three different products um, that uh, offer different risk return profiles for fixed income investors. Um, it's run by you and the team. And, um, you know, we think that this, this is an attractive um, proposition uh, in today's environment. So that's why we were keen to get you on. Yes, and I was keen to be here. Great. Anything to add before we close for today or uh, we're good? No, I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you again for your time. Um, next week, I did mention it right at the beginning, uh, we have a very special edition of Morning Espresso, and that's as part of the build-up to the US election. Um, I have with me two top pedigree uh, commentators for a panel discussion. The first of those is a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Sherman. Um, Jeff is deputy CIO of DoubleLine um, over in the US. And joining him will be um, an ex-New York Fed economist, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Friedman. And Stephen works at Mackay Shields. So I promise you this is going to be a super interesting session. Please do join us for that. In the meantime, 
don't forget to visit uh, our microsite. You'll find that at nordia.lu, and there you'll have all of the previous um, interviews that we've done. We transform those into podcasts as well, so you can listen to them on the train or while you're driving along. Um, but we also have Q&As as well, so plenty to look at. That's it for this week. I'll see you in a week's time.